Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Because he has uh, got a great book out. Uh, he's a former professional athlete, uh, recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country under 30. That's pretty cool. I wonder how you get that. Uh, he's a <laughs> contributing writer for Entrepreneur and Yahoo Health, featured in New York Times, People Forbes, Men's Health, Today Show. But before I introduce formally Mr. Lewis Howes, um, Hey, if you haven't uh, opted into our email list, then go to unbeelandmind.com slash podcast. Opt in so you can stay apprised of all the really cool things we're doing. And uh, also, uh, go ahead and rate me or us um, and leave us a comment on iTunes because that really helps get it um, get the show kind of noticed. All right, Lewis, welcome. Super cool to meet you. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, great meeting you. I've heard such great things about you over the years. So congrats on everything you've done. Thank you very much. That's pretty cool. I always think it's uh, when people say that I'm I'm always surprised because you know just like you, I got my head down and just cranking along. You know what I mean? And focused, focused, yeah. right? So you're up in uh, L.A. right now. You said is that where you hail from, or tell me a little bit about your? I I, I hail from Ohio, the greatest state in the country, <laughs> and uh, the heart of it all, as we call it. It's actually right. shaped like a heart. So uh, oh, a lot no of good people from. I mean, if there was any. Any state shaped like a heart, it would be Ohio. Well, and um, I just learned my one thing. There you go. <laughs> there you go yeah, I mean, actually, go look at it on the map. It kind of looks like a heart. And um, yeah, but I, I moved from Ohio. I was playing, you know, sports growing up, and then I moved to New York City after I was done playing arena football, and then I uh, fell in love with a girl that ended very quickly after I moved to LA for her about four years ago. Oh, no and I've, I've kind of stayed out here ever since. Some. Some great things have happened since I've been on here, so I keep staying out here. So you just went through about 30 years in 30 seconds. Exactly. There are probably a few, a few other stopping <laughs> points along the way. So you mentioned arena football. So you, you obviously played football in high school. Did you go? Where did you go to college yep. and where did you play football in college? I played at – I transferred to three different schools. I actually started at a D2 school called Southwest Minnesota State Okay. in a very, very small town in Minnesota. And then I transferred to – Probably, I think it's the smallest, one of the smallest colleges in the country with uh, a little under 500 students right now uh, called called Principia College. So I, I went there. It's in a, a village in, it's called Elsa, Illinois. It's right off the Mississippi River looking over uh, the river on the bluffs uh, of the Mississippi. So I was there for a little bit and then I transferred to a more of like a D3 powerhouse uh, football program in Columbus, Ohio, called Capital University. Capital, yeah, I've heard of that. Now, did Principia have a football program? It did. It does not anymore, though. It got discontinued a few years ago because when I played, we had I think thirty-six players on the team. Good lord! And we were playing against. It was a D three school, so we were playing against other you know big D three schools that had eighty guys on the sideline, and right. I. <laughs> no, I saw it was like playing high school ball for me. I never came off the field. I was the punter. I was the kicker, kicking off field goals, safety, receiver, you know, uh, everything. I was on the field. So it must have been pretty interesting when you had away games. You know, because you probably had like five fans there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we only had we had one bus, and everyone could fit on it. So, 
Interesting. Yeah. So you went on to play arena football. Tell me about that. I don't, I don't know anything about arena football. Yeah, imagine um, AstroTurf on a hockey rink okay. with with padded walls. That's arena football. And it's and, a pro uh, sport? It's a pro sport, yeah. It's, okay. uh, it's been, around, been around for, I think, 25 years now. There's there's guys that drop down from the NFL, then guys that move up to the NFL from uh-huh. Arena Football League every year. Uh-huh. It's kind of it's kind of like the minor leagues, but um, it's uh, it's it was fun, man. It was it was a lot of fun. I only played for about a year and and in a little bit out, over a year, but uh, I got injured, broke my wrist diving into a wall oh, to try Lord. to catch to try to catch a football on a route, and um, I played through the whole season with a broken wrist after that. But it was. Uh, uh, a surgery after that, they did a bone graft, put a, took a bone from my hip, put it in my wrist, and for six months I was in the full arm cast. So it took another took another six months after that just to kind of like get my arm to straighten out fully without being weak and, and in pain a lot. Uh-huh. So I had to miss the next season, and then it was just kind of like you know the dream of going to the NFL was kind of slipping away at that point. Yeah, I can imagine that. Now, if if the entire arena is walled in i imagine running into yeah. the wall is a pretty common thing it's very common yeah that's yeah. the out of bounds so you can't just step out of bound you, you either you you, you smear, get you hit, smear yourself <laughs> you get hit into the wall or you get hit into the astroturf which is on top of a hockey rink so god that sounds yeah, utterly it's very ridiculous. physical imagine like the most angry human beings in the world <laughs> in in a confined space with nowhere to run um, the, I mean, the guys that I played against are some incredible athletes and guys that played, you know, were all Americans playing, you know, played at Notre Dame and USC all over the country, but either dropped down or they, they didn't get their break at the draft. And so they played a season of arena football league and they're so angry that they're not playing in the NFL. Yeah. And we were making $250 a week and <laughs> they would put us up in, you know, apartments. So we, we got living for free, but we had a roommate with someone on the team and they would give us essentially like glorified food stamps to have meals for throughout the week. We would get Chick-fil-A coupons. We would get (laughs) subway and like a couple of the local stuff. I was living in Alabama at the time. So essentially like glorified food stamps. And, um, it was funny, Mark, when we would, we would get bonuses every time we'd score a touchdown. If we, would touch like a certain sign, like one of the sponsors. If we would touch one of them, then they would pay us a $25 bonus <laughs> check. So it was like, uh, it was definitely an experience once in oh, a lifetime. That's awesome. I love the description of, of a bunch of angry men with nowhere to go or nowhere to run. It reminds <laughs> me of my SEAL platoon and that's stuck in the Philippines, you know? Right. <laughs> like the, you know, the Super Bowl's going on over in Iraq and there they are <laughs> sitting in the Philippines going, what the hell? Why yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but every week was like a fight for your life because they would bring in guys every week who were fresh right. and who, who, were, who they would sign to play on the team. There was no like year contract guaranteed. It's like if you didn't perform, if you got injured, you were cut. God. And, uh, so they would bring in guys every single week. So again, there's world beat up, banged, but on Monday we'd have to come it back. It sounds like it'd be a great reality TV show, but uh, they shot a reality show Did of they? our team that season. Yes. Did the they? whole season. Every week there was a, an episode like in Alabama on like the regional TV or whatever. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So unfortunately you broke your wrist and you yep. had to move on. And so what was next for you? What, what, what inspired you to kind of come besides the, the girl you chased uh, to LA? Yeah. Well, that was, this was before the girl. Okay. I was, um, so I'm 20, I don't know, what am I? 23, 24 at the time now. And, uh, I moved back to Ohio and I didn't have a place to stay. So my, my sister let me crash on her place, which was supposed to be a, a couple months because I was supposed to, I was supposed to recover quickly, get back out, you know, do my thing and play in the next season. Mm-hmm. A couple months turned into a year and a half on my sister's couch. Oh, no kidding. And, I'm sure. and the whole time, yeah. And the whole time I'm, you know, I'm in this cast for six months, longer than I thought I'd be. Time is slipping away. I'm not healing fast enough. And, um, you know, I'm just in this place where I didn't have a backup plan. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go get a degree and like do something with my life afterwards. It was, no, this is my life. This is my dream. So essentially every day I felt my dream like slipping away from me and realizing that my identity was wrapped up in this dream. And now I have nothing like, this is what I felt at the time. I, I felt like I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything to fall back on. There was no backup plan. I had no skills. I left college early to go play, so I didn't have a college degree yet. This was in 2008, oh. when the economy when the economy was like, you know, people with master's degrees were not right. getting jobs. Right. 
So I was like, how am I going to get a job? You know? Now at the time, LinkedIn was pretty powerful. Like was was getting bigger. And so I spent all my day on LinkedIn, like all day for months and months. And uh, that's kind of how I got my start. I started just reaching out to successful people like you and I would email people and reach out to them and say, Hey, how did you do it? Can you tell me your story about how you became successful and how you got to where you are? And through that, I built, you know, my own little network of influencers. And then I started teaching people about LinkedIn. People started asking me, Hey, you know, so-and-so connected on LinkedIn. Can you introduce me? And can you show me how you've created such an incredible profile? So when I was making zero, I started making a little bit just by teaching people how to like optimize their profile and connect with people the way I was doing it. Right. And then little by little, someone's like, you should write a book about this so you don't have to teach one-on-one anymore. So I was like, okay, let me figure this out. And I wrote a book. And then I did an online course about it. And then people were like, well, since you know LinkedIn, can you teach me Facebook and Twitter and huh. all these other things that I don't know anything about? So I said, sure, I'll figure it out. Right. And so for years, I started just creating online courses, teaching people about social media and online marketing and, and started to develop new skills, connect with more people, add more value. Right. And uh, it kind of grew from there. Well, that's pretty interesting. And it is fascinating, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, you know, how they've become such almost crucial business platforms. I mean, who, Huge. who would have known yeah. that? I mean, I, I was one of the first 100,000 people to set up a profile on LinkedIn. The only reason I know, no way. Yeah. The only reason I know that useless fact is they sent me like a badge or an icon once and like, congratulations, you know, and I'm like, what do I get wow. for this? <laughs> I don't really, you know, is there any money attached to this? No, but, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't optimize it myself yet. We're just starting to really look at it, but, um, it's just amazing, you know, where, where these social platforms have come and it's going to be interesting to see where they go in the next few years. So you became kind of a guru on how to use LinkedIn. and Before anyone was talking about it, I was right. like the guy who wrote a book. I was speaking at all the big social media conferences. They were like, we need to start talking about this. Who's talking about LinkedIn? I was one of the maybe oh. a few people really doing it. Right. But I started branding myself as like the LinkedIn guy. Right. So that got me opportunities. and Right. So the that early success – so you went, you created these courses, you started speaking, and you probably looked at this and said, okay, you know, here's another inflection point. What, what's next? And so where did the idea of the School of Greatness come mm-hmm. from? I, and I love that name, by the way. That's just so Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't want to lose like my competitive spirit and my ability to compete. And this is probably partly, I'm assuming, I don't know this, but it's probably partly why you do what you do right. after you're done. It's like you're, you're training, you're being competitive, you're, you know, creating this brotherhood, this, all this stuff to kind of keep you in the game, so so to say. And so when I was on my sister's couch broke and didn't have this going for me yet, I watched the 2008 Olympics, Uh um, the Summer Olympics, and I saw a sport that I'd never seen in my life before on TV at like 3 a.m. one night. And I was instantly blown away at this sport. And I was like, how is this possible that I've never seen this sport? This looks like it's the perfect fit for me. (laughs) I should have been playing this my whole life. What was it? And uh, the sport is team handball. And I don't know if you've ever heard it or seen it. Team handball is like water polo on land. And uh, it's crazy. It's a huge sport in Europe, but pretty much unknown in the US. There's no professional league here. And uh, I remember seeing this and I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics and play team (laughs) handball for, for USA. I just declared it you'd that have, moment you'd have in 2008. To create a team probably from scratch. Well, that's the thing. I started doing research. I was like, okay, USA handball, like handball in Ohio. I was just like researching to see what was going on. There was no team in Ohio, but there were club teams all around the country in like major cities. Okay. And essentially what I found out is these club teams are mostly made up of Europeans who had moved over and kind of started these clubs. Yeah. And um I saw that the national championships there was a national championship for these club teams every year. And the New York city team was like back to back to back champions. So I said, okay, I'm going to move to New York city one day when I make any money (laughs) and I'm going to go learn this sport and see what's possible and see if I can make this USA team. Cool. And two years later I moved to New York city um, and start playing with the team. And then nine months after I was in New York, I make the USA national team and play my first international competition with them. And, uh, it was a game changer. I mean, my life was on fire in New York city. I was just like everything I wanted, I was going after it and I was like achieving it. It was amazing. And so I was there for about a year and a half in New York. And then I, I met this girl 
I met this girl, and this is where everything falls apart. <laughs> oh, it either no. all falls apart or it all comes together with girls, doesn't right. it? Right, it does. And uh, so I meet this girl that I just like – I fell hard for like really yeah. quickly within a couple months. And she was in L.A. and I was in New York. And I told my buddies – I would visit L.A. to like go speak or go attend a conferences or whatever for a while. And I, my friends were always like, you got to move out here. The West Coast is the best coast. I was like, nah, I like the East Coast. I like the, the grind. Right. And um, I, I wasn't a fan of LA. I was like, eh, it's just too superficial and it's too big and blah, blah, blah. But um, a girl was able to get me to come out right? because <laughs> she was there. So my buddies were always trying to get me to come and I, I never do. But a girl would, would take me there. But the day I got to – so I get rid of my lease in New York. And I pretty much get rid of everything. I don't really have much anyways. So got wait, two- was this giving up on your dream of going to the Olympics too? No, no, no. no. So I was still in the USA team. Okay. There was a team in LA that I could play with and practice with as well. So I was just like, okay, well, I can go play out there and, and try this out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I move and take two bags and a laptop. And she, she really wanted me to move. She was like, I really want you to move. I've been doing long distance in my past relationships and I'm just sick of it. Uh And I don't, I don't want to be in this relationship unless we're in the same city. Right. And I was like, well, I can be in LA like two, three weeks a month because I've got a, you know, laptop lifestyle type of deal going on. And she was like, no, I really want to like try with us in the same place. And I was like, well, why don't you come back to New York? She was like, well, I just moved to LA. So so she's kind of like giving me an ultimatum, which I was a little resentful of. Right. But I was already kind of hooked. And so I said, screw it. I'm going to give this a shot. And I move out there. The day I land, guess what happens? She breaks up with you. She breaks up with me. No way. I swear to God. What and it the was heck? just like, exactly. She couldn't, have, she couldn't have made the call before you got on the plane. Exactly. Oh my God. Or a few weeks before I got rid of my lease or whatever. Right, yeah, so, so I have no place in New York. I've, I'm Airbnb-ing it for a few weeks in LA because I don't know where I'm going to stay yet. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is. <laughs> miserable you know why why am i here why don't i just go back to new york where things were great you got your sister's uh, couch back there in ohio exactly and um i decided i was like we, we ended up like getting back together and kind of like figuring out for a few months but it was just like a it was like a roller coaster it was kind of a nightmare and a few months later we ended up like ending it for good and um i remember i was just kind of in a funk i was like resentful i was in a funk my mind space wasn't the right place right. and i was just kind of mad i was just like why did I allow myself to do this? I should have never trusted this. I, I should have like listened to myself, whatever. And um, it's kind of like running running into that wall in arena football. Exactly. It was just like what <laughs> and am I you're doing? You're an angry white guy now in L.A. And I'm an angry white guy, yes. <laughs> and um, and I remember I was driving around in L.A. traffic to like go to the gym or something, and just being like, you know, frustrated upset you know i didn't forgive myself yet i didn't forgive her i was just kind of mad and i remember being like there was a lot of people mad that day driving they were like just <laughs> angry drivers everywhere you understand being in la you probably witnessed it yeah that's a daily occurrence up there and i remember being like gosh there's got to be something that i was like there's people just commuting and stuck in traffic all day which i didn't really realize because I, when i was living in new york city it's kind of like walking everywhere on the subway it wasn't a big deal to me but i was like People are just not happy, and this is probably happening all over the world. Right. And what if I could create something to get in front of these people who aren't happy so they could be inspired, right? right. And um, I remember at the time, this was in 2012 when I thought about this, there, a couple of my buddies were doing podcasts, and they were just crushing it. They were like, I'm getting the best connection with my audience. I'm getting a lot of leads. It's driving the most traffic, like all these things. I was like, really? I thought podcasts were dead. Yeah. And um, I remember being like, if these guys can do it, I think I could do it. I've got some, you know, at this point in my life, I had some great relationships in both business and sports world and just kind of like wide range of industries. And I was like, I think I could interview a lot of people from all walks of life, not just like a business thing and do essentially what I did early days on LinkedIn where I was reaching out to just awesome, inspiring people and share those conversations with the world. So I remember thinking about the name. And um, I was like, I don't want to do it. I just didn't want it to be my name, like the Lewis Howe show or something. And I didn't want it to be like a marketing show or something. So I was like, how can I make it more broad? And I got horrible grades all through school. And I almost flunked out of English class my senior year. Uh-huh. But I, So I hated school, but I loved education. Yeah. And I loved learning and growth. And so I was like, I just want you know there to be a different type of school, a school that – with principles they don't teach in 
in school. So it's called the School of Greatness. So that's kind of how it came about. I love that. school. Of, so right now, the School of Greatness is basically uh, podcasts and guests. And then you parlay that into your first – or your, not your first book, obviously, but your a book by that title, School of Greatness. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it's the podcast. And, uh, you know, it kind of started as just like, well, let me try this thing for a year and just see yeah. how it goes once a week. And then it just blew up. Right. And, um, you know, we get over um, 1.3 million downloads a month. And then a book deal came out of it, which hit number two in the New York Times, which I was super grateful for. And That's then, awesome. uh, you know, they just kept asking for more. My community was just like, we want more. Give us more of this. So I created right. an online academy. And now I'm creating a summit called the Summit of Greatness. That's going to bring everyone together. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I want to be there. <laughs> yeah, come. Uh, so tell us about some of the the guests and some of the principles that you preach, so to speak, in the School of Greatness. Yeah, I mean, some of the guests, again, it's a wide range. I've had everyone from, you know, Hollywood directors, a guy named John Chu, who's got a movie coming out right now called Now You See Me Too. I've had uh, a lot of meditation experts, Andy Puticombe, who's the founder of Headspace app, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest apps in, on meditation I've had. Uh, you know, Tony Robbins on a couple of times. I've had, you know, Grammy Award winners like Alanis Morissette. I've had uh, uh, Ariana Huffington to top chefs to Tim Ferriss to uh-huh. Olympic, Olympic gold medalists. I mean, for me, it's about spreading the cast wide, uh, spreading the net wide and trying to really find people who are great in all walks of life. Um, and that's what interests me. What are what have been some of the most surprising things that you've learned from these guests? Can you think of uh, a couple of yes. things that have just really stunned you, or, or just you know, mm. made your jaw yeah. drop? I mean, all all the, the reason I wrote my book was because I started seeing common themes, and I know you do as well with everyone you interview. Mm-hmm. And I I saw these common themes that they all had in common, and. Um, the thing that's most powerful, maybe it's not jaw dropping. It's it's more of just like, oh yeah, these are things that we've all heard that just most people don't execute on. Right. And um, when you break it down, and it seems so simple, but it's like we make it so challenging sometimes. And I would say that the biggest jaw dropping thing is that almost all the people that I interview were up to big things and living greatness in my mind. They have such a big heart of service. Uh-huh. Their, their, their mission is to serve. Right. And um, even if their like, goal is to be an Olympic gold medalist, in the process, they're trying to serve other people with their generosity, with their, with their talents, with whatever it may be. But usually the people at the top are giving the most. They have the most joy. They have the most positive attitude. They have the most love. They want to create the most healing in the world. They want to create, you know, more abundance for people, whatever it may be, their mission is to serve. And that's the thing that just made so much sense to me. It's like, yes, of course, you know, we were born in this world. We were given so much, even if we were born into poverty or drug addict parents or whatever issues that we don't have, we have, we're born and we don't even know why we're born, but we're given this world to explore and to adventure and to discover and learn and acquire things. And, it's, I believe it's our duty to give back to the world, you know, yeah, and the, yeah. the people in the world that gave to us. So, right. Yeah. That's one of the main things. I agree. And that's, that is such a powerful, a powerful driver, you know? Yeah. And right. I'm sure it's probably one of the reasons why you, you know, are doing three episodes today of your podcast and continue to spend money to yeah. give to something that's completely free for you, yeah. create content and just educate and inspire and, Right. give value because it's like you get to serve people yeah and, and you can serve a lot of people through digital media which is pretty cool so and Absolutely. it's fun to see where it can go and it is a lot of it's a lot of work to offer a lot of free content but it's a lot of work what goes around comes around and you just you know you just trust that uh you know you'll be taken care of it's never been about exactly. the money for me either yeah uh, good through this I, go ahead yeah. i was gonna say another thing i mean there's I talk about eight core principles that they kind of all have in common, but I'll just talk about two. Living a life of service is probably the thing that, you know, people, I think, forget about at some points, you know, and you talk about life is chaotic and unpredictable. Uh, and when that happens, and listen, I'm at fault for this at times too. It's like we get in our own world. We become like, isolate our ideas and our mind and then we share how like negative things are and how we're unhappy 
and we get upset about things. And, um, you know, the goal is to have a clear, powerful vision. You know, another thing that people have is they have a clear, powerful vision of what they want. They don't focus on what they don't want or what they lack. They focus on what they're going to create in the world. And all these people that I've connected with, they've, they've started with some type of, usually it's some type of pain in their end, some type of frustration or conflict or pain or problem that they're trying to solve. And then they have an idea in their mind and then they go make it happen. And this idea is their vision and they're so crystal clear on who they want to be to create what they want. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that makes these people that I'm sure that you interview as well. So interesting and inspiring is their vision to, and, and it's usually the vision to serve, you know, and that's that coupled together is really powerful. Yeah. You said something that it was, would have been easy to miss, but it's such a crucial point is that these successful people, yourself included, they have a vision of who they can be, yes. not necessarily what form that success will take because that's right. always changing. And, um, and you know, the opportunities are going to come and go as they come and go. But if you stay clear and focused on who you are and who you can be mm-hmm. and get a clear, um, sense of the potential, the vast potential that lies within you, then that will be your guiding, you know, North star every day as, as you execute on all the tactical stuff. Exactly. Hey, you know, yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. Hoo-yah. Have you... Um have you ended up um, becoming friends or uh, found any mentors through your networking with this podcast and for your book? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like so many great people I've had the chance to interview who I'm now close friends with or, uh, you know, even mentor- mentors of mine now. Um, someone who's become a closer friend, a guy that I didn't know, I wasn't even aware of, was a guy named Rob Bell. Huh. And uh, he's the guy you should, should check out if you don't already know. He was one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people in the world. Really? And uh, he, is a, like a, he was a former pastor at a, at a church that he started, built one of the biggest churches in the country, and uh, kind of left the church to do his own thing. He's written, I don't know, 10 New York Times bestsellers. And wow. He's just kind of like my spiritual compass, you know. He just like reminds me if I ever falter, like really why I'm here, and not to get caught up, especially being in LA and like the hype or or whatever. Just to be grounded and loving and and giving. So, That's but awesome. I I feel I feel I mean, one of the cool things about doing the podcast is like I get to meet all these cool people and then build relationships with them. You know, many of them I featured in my book, and then luckily a lot of them supported it and promoted me when when I needed a favor in return. So it was pretty cool. That is really cool. And it's, it's nice to have, you know, someone who can um, keep you humble. You know, I think that's a really important point um, because, yes. you know, if you're not keeping yourself humble or if you don't have someone who can constantly remind you that, Hey, you know, this is, it's about the service and it's about keeping your feet in the ground and your head out of the air, then, um, you know, the universe will have a way of smacking us down. Exactly. I see that. We see that all the time, you know, and I'm just like, oh, there goes another one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So exactly. tell us about um, like what you do every day to remain focused, to make good decisions, to stay grounded. You know, what does your day look like? What are your rituals? And- <sighs> yeah. I mean, for me, I start with gratitude. I think okay. gratitude is the most important thing. Um, and it helps me stay grounded because I'm focusing on, again, what I – already have as opposed to what I don't have. Right. I'm focusing on the good. Even if I don't have, or let's, I don't know the, even if my, you know, I have like a little gut and it's not a perfect six pack, I'm not focusing on, Oh, I'm so pissed that I'm like not in the best shape of my life right now. No, I focus on, wow, I'm so grateful that I can move and I'm flexible and I'm strong. And uh, I focus on the good in my life. And I constantly come from a place of gratitude. You know, it's the last thing I talk about before I go to bed. I 
talk to my girlfriend and ask her what the three things she's grateful for from the day. And then I will share what I'm grateful for um, right before we go to bed. Nice. It's on my voice message. So when someone calls me, I say, if you want a response, tell me what you're grateful for. <laughs> it's a it's a daily practice. It's a way of being of something I'm constantly doing with my team. I'll ask them what they're grateful for. I'll express. And I think that brings in more positivity, brings in more abundance when I'm in that place as opposed to when I'm negative and sure. coming from a negative mind. So that's something I do every day. I My goal and intention is to work out every single day. And, mm-hmm. and if, if not, then don't miss two days in a row okay. if, I, if I'm too busy. And I do that in the morning. It depends on what I'm training for at the moment. But um, it'll either be a run, basketball, uh, a lift, or some type of hit workout. Okay. And then uh, a no green juice. Handball. handball? No, I just, I just got back from the national championships yesterday. Oh. And uh, we got third place, unfortunately. But um, the, the Pan American Championships is – Next month, and I'll, I should know in the next two days if I'm getting picked up on the, the team again to play against Argentina and Brazil, who are both going to the Olympics this year. Nice. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, so then I'll have a green juice or a smoothie in the morning and um, set my intention for the day after that. And that's, that's kind of the morning. And what do you do, let's say, in the middle of the day, you know, if, if you just have a huge setback? You know, how do you, how do you take pull a, yeah. yourself out of it? I take a walk or I go work out. Right. I think it's I think for me because I can be in my you know workspace all day all night and just get caught up in it and right. be in the craziness of it all um and if I don't take a break if I don't walk and clear my mind then it can kind of be overwhelming so for me yeah. it's like I just did a, a three and a half mile jog right before I came to do this interview because yeah. I needed a break midday so yeah yeah, I guess the blood flowing, just a change of perspective is really yeah, good as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we call those spot drills. So getting up and you know, just doing twenty burpees or like you said, go for a one mile jog or a brisk walk or you know, some breathing exercises. You could do those three, four, five times a day whenever you're feeling like, okay, I need to change it up. That's it. It's very stimulating. Yes. You mentioned something earlier that it seemed like most of the, if not all of the you know, school of greatness guests and proteges that you've talked to um, have come from some either real physical trauma or emotional trauma or some major setback in life. And that proved to be an inflection point for them. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned from these experiences? Like how, what do you think it is about that? You know, about coming to this you know, to this cliff in your life and you're just like, okay, there's, you know, there's a fork in the road. Like Yogi Berra says, I got to take it, you know, right. and these really successful people took a fork that brought them to where they are today, but so many other people don't. Yeah. I think adversity does something interesting for us. It gives us a reason to be held back or, or spring forward. Right. And it's that it's kind of like our why moment, you know, for me, I was picked last on the dodgeball courts uh, on fourth grade recess. I was picked last between all the guys and then all the girls. And that was the last one that they picked. And I remember at that point just being like, maybe this isn't that adverse, but I'm just giving an example. But I remember saying at that point, I was like, I'm never going to get picked last again. Like, I'm going to train myself so this never happens again. You know, in, in sports, I mean, there was a lot of other things that happened. My brother went to prison when I was five. You know, I was raped by a man uh, that I didn't even know when I was a child. There was all these other things that led that led to these experiences of me, of this adversity that I was like, I'm going to be driven to be someone of value and that people don't disrespect, that people aren't going to pick last, that people aren't going to sexually abuse. I'm going to matter in the world. Right. And so there was a number of adversity moments for me that that came up that kind of like led me to where I'm at now. Um, but I think a lot of people, you know, again, Tony Robbins, he was grew up poor and he said some someone I think at Christmas or Thanksgiving came to his house and gave him like a, a Thanksgiving dinner right. when when they didn't even have food. And so it's been his why ever since he's like, I'm never going to be hungry again. And I'm going to make so much money and I'm going to go to, and when I make all that money, I'm going to give back to other people who are in my position. Right. And now he feeds, I don't know, a million people a year or something through, through yeah. giving back. And so there's all these moments of people, you know, the singers, directors, it's like, 
they they create something meaningful to them where maybe they were lacking either emotionally or spiritually or physically or sexually or whatever it may be at some point. And that becomes their driving force to move forward. But there's with all the people that are successful out there, there's so many people that go through similar adversity, but how whatever reason the fear of looking bad and the fear of failure hold them back after mm-hmm. adversity as opposed to move them forward. So it's really like a deciding point. Like, do I want right. to move forward in this or do I want to just keep this perpetuating and, and be stuck? Right. And that's, that's the choice for all of us. And that there's also a lot of successful athletes that I've seen who have gotten injured and either they spring forward or they fall back and they never get out of it because they've never dealt with something like that. So, you know, we have a choice in many different areas of our life to, to either move forward or spring back. Yeah. It is a fascinating subject. And you wonder, though, you know, if you trace it back, ultimately, you're right. It's about choice. But you can't make a choice unless you're in control yeah. of your mind and emotions. And most people aren't, right? And so. Exactly. And then what's behind that? You know, it, it, you know, you could have, like, I remember the story of these twins, you know, and one was really successful and one was living under a bridge. And mm. a reporter found them and, you know, interviewed them. And the successful guy says, well, you know, I I didn't really have any other choice. My father was a, you know, complete drunk and alcoholic and abused us. And, you know, I had to do this. I had to get away and, and make something of myself. <laughs> and you know where the story goes, right? So he goes and finds the guy under the bridge and, mm-hmm. and asks him, you know, what do you attribute your, you know, your situation to your state in life? And he says, you don't understand. I didn't have a choice. My right. father was a drunk and an alcoholic and abused me and I didn't have any other path to take. Crazy. Ultimately, yeah. it is a choice, but what, what backs that choice, you know, is, is ultimately your spirit or your soul or whatever word you want to use. It's like, you know, if it's there for you and mm-hmm. you feel that sense of I am underneath all that and you say, I got this, you know, I can do this, then that's cool. I mean, then you go forward. But if you don't feel that sense, if you, you know, if it's, if it's buried in shame or, or something mm-hmm. like that, then oftentimes it's, it's the bridge too far for some people. That's it. That's, that's it. Really, you know, I'm on that point. I don't want to bring up a, a subject that's probably painful, but you know, you mentioned something obviously very important in your life and that was being mm-hmm. abused, you know, and the, the, the emotional shadow of that has a long tail. How, how have you dealt with that in your adult life? I mean, for 25 years, I didn't tell a soul. Right. And, uh, from five to 20 to five to 30, no one knew about it except right. for me. Right. And I, I actually kind of like brought it up to a sociology professor after class one day in college as they were, he was talking about statistics of, you know, rapes and this and that. And I kind of like mentioned something happened to me, but I never really fully shared it. It wasn't until three years ago when I opened up about it and started telling my family and friends. And, and then I actually opened up about it on my, my podcast and kind of just like, which I was terrified to do. I mean, I, I was. Bet. Wow, that took some. Courage. I mean, I mean, I was terrified to tell my family. Right, I was terrified to tell. Right. I told each one of my family members and told them, you know, is there anything that I could ever say or do that would make you not love me? And that's kind of like what I did to set it up because I think I was afraid of them Judging. not loving me after right. they would know. Right. And um, I created the most incredible connections with my siblings and my parents after discussing it and uh you know a lot of things came up on both sides and you know they each one of them shared with me things that i never knew about them so it's funny when we become vulnerable and open like what we can create in the world is really powerful and i started sharing with my friends and again connection was deeper and deeper with each time i would share it and each time i would share i felt like it owned me less and less like it was something that controlled me and I was so guilty of and so ashamed of. Right. That's why I didn't want to tell anyone. Right. And it kind of got to the point, you know, three years later, I I can talk about it and not – it doesn't own me. You know, it's not like something that's like this horrible, painful thing to me anymore. Yes, it's horrible and it was painful, but it doesn't control me now. And, um, yeah, it's just yeah. been uh, – I remember doing it on my podcast. I was waiting for about six months to to like post it because I was just terrified. I was like, is this going to, you know, what are people going to think about me? Is it going to ruin my business? I was just like, I have no idea. But something kept telling me to that I'm going to help serve a lot of people. And if I come from a place of giving and service, then, um, you know, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Maybe I'd lose a few followers or something, but whatever. 
I thought it would help more people. And it's only proven every time I talk about it openly, it's only proven to be able to create healing for so many people. Right. Because it's not really a, there's not really many men that I've heard of that talk about being sexually abused or raped when they're, you know, at any point. No. And, uh, but the challenge is the statistics show that one in six boys have been sexually abused in some way. No kidding. One in six. Wow. And, uh, that's kind of like the statistic we know about. So, uh, that's it's really probably reported statistics. Yes. It's probably wow. more than that. Probably. Um, but it's just crazy to think about all the men in our lives that, you know, probably we don't know about who have been some type yeah. of sexual abuse. And when I started opening up about it, it created a space and permission for so many people to share with me their yeah. stories. Right. And for weeks after I posted this, I mean, I was getting hundreds of emails from people just sharing essays of what had happened to them wow. and saying, thank you for opening up. I, I've held this a secret for 40 years. My wife doesn't even know this is what happened to me, but now you give me the courage to go and let it go. And, um, and that's been something that's really cool is to see that like, you know, I still have a lot to work on my personal self. Like in no way am I perfect and, you know, still have a long way to go to be evolved aware, you know, <laughs> in full integrity and everything that I do, all, all these things. But, um, you know, I'm trying to be the best that I can every day and, and serve people along the way. Oh, that's a powerful story. You know, it's just bringing up the memory of the recent incident with Dennis Haster. You know, here's this guy who's speaker of the house and all the young boys that he abused and mm. they kept that secret just like you did. So that's the common, you know what? Yeah. I, like, I think I really applaud you on that. I, I mean, it's just an incredible story and, and what courage that took. And of course the shame and, and doubt and fear, you know, of, of not being loved or being judged. Um, but I can see how just sharing every time you share it, it's like bleeding a little air out of a balloon, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, where awareness goes, energy flows. And so you're bringing positive energy to such a negative, dark corner of your life until essentially it's, it's gone. And, and you've, you realize that an event that happens to us doesn't define who we are. Yeah. And back to that, I am this, that, that, is ultimately eternal beneath everything. That's precious. You know what I mean? And, right. and no, no amount of jerks in the world can take that from us. Exactly. That's really powerful. Wow. I mean, I, I could see that just in itself being a mission. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny you say that I just signed my second book deal and it's, the title is called the mask of masculinity. Right. And, um, for, you know, for 25 years I was, living with a mask right. of showing people what I wanted them to see about me, but never actually showing them like the true a hundred percent truth of the essence of me. And, um, not, you know, I wasn't fully living a lie or something, but it's just like I was putting on a mask and, uh, right. showing people what I wanted them to see without ever really being vulnerable and opening up. And as I started to go through this process over the last three years of just being as authentic and vulnerable uh, you know, and compassionate as possible, essentially doing the opposite of what I was trained. And I think most boys in America, for at least as athletes growing up, are trained to, again, not cry, not let people, sh you know, not right. show people you're hurt when you, you fall down, right. you know, never let them see you sweat, uh, all these different things. It didn't serve me. You know, right. it wasn't, it didn't support me. In some ways, it drove me to get things, but it, it left me feeling very empty and unfulfilled inside and lonely. Right. And I never understood why I was lonely inside all the time. And, um, going through this process has really helped me. I, I don't know what they teach seals. Of, I'm not sure what you guys go through the type of training yeah. in, ter in terms of emotions, what type of emotion you can share, but just from the movies of like, just calling you guys names all the time at boot camp and like screaming at you and this and that. I don't know if that's actually real or not, but I can imagine there's some of that in there. That's just like, yeah. don't be a, don't be a, you know, don't be a this, don't be a that. Don't be, you know, there's whatever. It's interesting. It's a dichotomy. There is a lot of that, but I know what I noticed in the special ops. And you know, I think this is true for like most infantry units is that you end up getting so, you know, intimate and I use that term in a, you know, healthy yes. way. You know what I mean? Like you are, you literally experience a love for your teammates, which is yes. not normal in life. And so you share things, you cry together, you see teammates bleed and die 
And you're willing to lay your life down for your teammates. And I've had teammates lay their lives down for my teammates. And um, that's powerful. So, yes, the boot camp kind of model seems like it's it's there to develop, you know, emotional hardening and resiliency. But ultimately, you know, that is so you can get through the chaos of combat. And so you can can be there for your teammates and have their back. And so it tends to be – there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about the nature of that training. Sure. It's power to, um, you know, develop emotional – resiliency and emotional awareness but it's not enough at the same time you know i i do think that you know there's a lot more you can do and you know one of my um, i recently did a video series that i haven't published yet called emotional power mm. and um i'm excited about it i just want to go back and like rework it because i think it's so important and um you know i've had a lot of other projects i don't want to like do it I want to do it justice. You know what I mean? Yeah yeah because guys and especially guys in our country and you know young and old have no language and no role modeling around emotional development and mm. overcoming, you know, emotional adversity and things that brought, you know, shame and, and, uh, you know, anxiety and anger and arrogance into their lives, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I'm gonna have to interview you for my book then because I'm just starting the process. So right on. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we had Steve Weatherford down here at Seal. Yes. Love that guy. He was awesome. And I tell you what, you know, we crushed him in a workout. He did a good job, right? Because he's, he? you know, he's been training a different way, but he did a really good job. I was, I was proud of him. Um, and we were laughing because he was so out of his element that he, you know, he took his shirt off, right? He and is that- shredded. And he's totally shredded. We, we, we figured that he was trying to intimidate us because the guy had like 0.1% body fat. He's a mutant, dude. <laughs> he is a such a mutant. <laughs> I look fat compared to him and I'm in really good uh, shape. I look yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Someone took a picture and I'm like, hey, here's you guys. And I'm like, what? I look like a freaking doughboy compared to Steve. It's fun because he's so ripped. Anyway, I brought that up because I think it'd be fun and you would really enjoy um, our Kokoro camp. And I've, I've invited Steve to come down to Kokoro camp. That's our 50-hour Hell Week simulation is nonstop oh training gosh. for 50 hours. No sleep? No, no. Who needs sleep? Oh my gosh. How do you get through it? <laughs> well, you do. Uh, it, you know, it's just one of those things. You, it, The whole point is to learn or to prove to yourself that you're capable of so much more. And it's experienced in what we call the five mountains, physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and spiritually. So we train those but uh, throughout the camp, but you kind of go through those in layers until really it is your spirit and the team spirit that's getting you through. And it's an extraordinary experience. So Wait a minute. So f- over two so two days, no sleep and like yeah. full. Well, and yeah, you're not sitting around knitting either. I mean, it's nonstop arduous training, you know, like. Oh, my goodness. Do the, you got, are, are you doing the training? Are you doing the workshop or? Well, I, I, um, I have a series, you know, like 20 different certified coaches. And so at any one Kokoro camp, depending upon the number of enrolled people, we have uh, – Maybe wow. four Navy SEALs, SEAL fit coaches, and a couple of civilians who I've trained up over the years. Do they and, sleep? Uh, the, the coaches do, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but I tell you what, this is our, we're on, I think, number 40, oh gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting, 43 uh, since 2008. And for the first, you know, like 30, 25 to 30, you know, I was up for all 50 hours. Oh, um, I just don't need to do it anymore, so I don't. <laughs> You've done enough. Though, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've paid my dues. <laughs> You've paid so your dues. I would love to get you and Steve down oh, and do man. that, you know, and we'll, yeah. get, we'll get some cameras rolling and it'll be, be a hoot. Gosh. You guys would love it. I mean, how much weight do people lose over those 50 hours? Yeah, you know what? Quite quite a bit, but it's mostly water weight and it bounces back. It's really extraordinary. It's the kind of thing you want to train for. You want to spend six to nine months training for. You don't want to I go guess. into it cold because you, you got to do a lot of You running. really hurt yourself maybe. You could, yeah. And so we usually have about 30% of the people who enroll don't make it through. But but our intention is to get everyone through. You know, it's not like SEAL training where their intention is to, you know, Correct. make sure you don't get through unless you're like one of the superhumans, you know, studs in the world. Wow. But um, it's pretty cool. Anyways. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to train for that sometime. Uh once handball is all done, I'll be I'm, – I'm all about it. You'll be looking for your next challenge. I'm going to need yeah. something, man. That'll I'm going to be, be bored, it. you know. All so right. that's awesome, man. I'm really excited. Cool. Well, we'll keep you posted and uh, tell you what. It was super neat to meet you, Lewis, and to um, to hear your story. Yeah. And I really appreciate your time. And So um, your next – you know, your book, that sounds like you got some time. So folks right now, they should go look for School of Greatness on Amazon or wh- where yeah. should they go to learn more about you? Yeah, and go right to Amazon or just lewishouse.com and you can get the information there as well. Lewis Howes with an S at the end, H-O-W-E-S. Yep. 
LewisRouse.com. That's where your podcast is, I imagine. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And then uh, we'll look forward to your your new book, uh, which will probably take you off into new vistas. And, It'll be amazing. Uh, yeah, that sounds cool. I look forward to uh, watching that journey. And uh, let Thanks. me know if I can help in any way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mark. You bet. My pleasure. All right, folks, that's it. Uh, you just heard from Lewis Howes, um, School of Greatness. How cool. What a neat guy. I'm super stoked to have uh, done this call with him, and I look forward to more connection with Lewis. You know the deal, everyone. Train hard and stay focused. Right? Do your practice every day. If you do the work, it'll work for you. If you don't, then uh, stand by. Right? You'll start sliding backwards. So do the work. It's not that hard. Right? Just a little bit a day. Just be disciplined and focused. All right. And if you are hearing this for the first time, then remember to get on our email list. Go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast and uh, rate us on iTunes. Hoo-yah. Coach Dubai now. Hey, you know yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do... I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. Booyah! When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.